This episode is brought to you by BlackWidowPro.com. Black Widow Pro has power sports carriers, ramps, lift tables, and more to easily move or work on every toy in your garage. From dirt bikes and cruisers up to ATVs and UTVs, listeners can save 15% off their order by using coupon code TIRE. Black Widow Pro, inspired by passion. This is The Motorcycle Show, episode 9 for August 28th, 2021. I'm Crash. And I'm Daddy No Fun. And we're joined by a special guest, maybe a recurring guest. We don't know. His name is Tom. How are you, Tom? I'm doing well. Thank you guys very much for uh, inviting me in. Yeah, this has been quite a quite a lot of scheduling. We eventually got it to work. Uh, some unexplained technical difficulties that we'll probably never fully understand <laughs> stopped the last episode we were going to record together. But uh, we, we, we were at the it. mercy of the uh, of the internet gods. We were. And I got to say, I'll just go ahead and say it on, on air. Thank you for being persistent and patient. <laughs> <laughs> our, our deepest gratitude for your patience and persistence with uh, making sure this happens. <laughs> so um, Not a problem. Let's see. I'm going to venture a guess, uh, since this is a motorcycle show and you're on it, that you ride a motorcycle. I do. Uh, I have been riding. I'm coming up on 14 years now. So got got started a little a little bit later in life. Was not one of those that uh, a lifelong motorcyclist, sure. but I did uh, I did own a bike uh, when I was a um, a kid. Probably my my early teens. I had a um, I don't know if it was a it was a Suzuki. I remember, and it was either a fifty or a seventy cc, something like that. All I remember was that it was a three speed, but no clutch. Okay. So whatever bike that was yeah, at that time, was. that was. Uh, all right, I'll date myself early mid seventies. Okay, and now what do you ride now? Now you've, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming you've graduated to a clutch and a slightly larger displacement. I graduated to a clutch. I've been on and off clutches for those fourteen years, and new bike now does not have a clutch, oh. and I love it. Uh, so recently, about two months ago, I stepped up to a uh, Goldwing Tour DCT. Oh, mm, interesting, Steve. You and, and I both uh, on those. Yeah, I've it, actually the uh, best statement was that when uh, when uh, I was I told the wife that I was buying that her first statement was oh you're going for the old man's bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well not quite but um, yeah so I've had that for about two months I've got about two thousand miles on it right now and uh, really like the the whole no clutch thing. Nice yeah I um I've been really enjoying having a quick shifter on my KTM I can get away without the clutch for a lot of things and I can understand the allure of not having the clutch it really when I test rode it it freaked me out it, I really had a, a hard time um, a hard time getting used to the shift points I mean I like the bike a lot and I've test ridden both of them the six speed and the the DCT um, the shift points were a little early for me you know, the, the, in the automatic settings. And that was like, I, and I don't remember what setting I had it in as far as the, the power setting. Uh, but the bike, man, I tell you what, I loved it. I just, I liked the six speed more and maybe cause I'm just so used to shifting and that's part of the appeal for the owning a motorcycle for me too, is that, you know, concert of hands, feet, that whole thing that, that it's very visceral for me. I wanted to ask you something, Tom, before we get, you know, talk about what was the event 15 years ago that was the springboard for you back into motorcycling to get to 
jump on it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to blame my wife again for it. So, so I had, um, we lived on a cul-de-sac and had a, had a neighbor that was selling a, um, scooter, a Bergman 400. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had it out on his lawn. Of course, being on cul-de-sac, we go back and forth all the time. And I kept admiring it and telling the wife that really looks neat. And then the bike went away for about a month and we hadn't talked. We don't, we weren't that friendly with that particular neighbor or didn't talk with him a lot. So it was like, all right. So it went away. And then about a month later, it showed back up. Hmm. So as we were driving home one day, she says, why don't you go talk to him about it? I'm like, okay. So I walked over, I talked to him. I walked back to her. I says, okay, I bought it. <laughs> she says, I told you to go talk to him, not buy it. So that, that, uh, so we started off on a, on a big scooter, a Bergman 400. Uh, that was my, my, uh, entry drug. Um, graduated just a few months later to a Bergman 650, uh, exclusive, had that for just several months and then made the leap into motorcycles, uh, had a V-Strom, uh, 1000, um, owned that for about a year and a half or so, maybe two years, and then jumped into the BMW world. And I went through Mm -hmm. about uh, almost 11 years, three different bikes of BMWs, uh, an RT, then a 1200 GSA. Then the last one was a 1200 2018, uh, GS. So this is new going to the Honda outside of, you know, being so long with the, the boxer engine and just some of the, you know, you get used to the quirks in a, in a brand right? Uh, and, and BMW certainly has them and, and the Honda has them as well. Now I've also owned other scooters in, in mixed in with those bikes, um, had a Honda, um, elite 110, which was an interesting bike with, with my big ass on it. I could get it up <laughs> to 42 and downhill with a tailwind. Um, but then my last that I had for uh, a few years was a Vespa 300. Um, so really like that. But when I got rid of the GS and got the Honda, I looked at the Vespa and it's like, okay, the Honda kind of, the gold wing kind of fits the same thing as the Vespa. It's just bigger. It's an automatic. It's got bags. I mean, the Vespa was my grocery getter, uh, and used to be my commuter when I actually went to an office. Uh, the but, Vespa 300 uh, is a really nice scooter. It was, yeah. it was a fun around yeah. town. That thing was a blast. It, it Crash, does, does any he, of Tom's story, hold on, Tom, does any of Tom's story ring a bell for you? Or yeah, I familiar? feel like you guys should be best friends. This is So this I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, this is just like I, talking to Steve for the very first time. I, I had a, a 15-year hiatus <laughs> with owning a motorcycle, and my wife decided we were going to buy a bike, right? And she, of course, I knew in her mind she wanted like a leather fringe jacket, you know, riding on the back of a Harley, but I wasn't going to go there, so... We started looking at motorcycles happening. This, this was end of 2001 popped into a dealership and they had two 2002, you know, this was November model year V Stroms sitting in there, DL 1000s first year. And, uh, <laughs> eerily enough, they were used in a Suzuki Bergman 650 rollout as demo bikes for the, the Suzuki riders and the guy from the dealership. And I've told this story a million times. The guy from the dealership said, nobody's going to ever buy these. You're the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen in my life. We'll give you a thousand dollars off. So yeah, it was a DL 1000 was, was the bike that was like my entry back into motorcycling, which is kind of funny. Cause you mentioned having a, a DL, but mm-hmm. it's funny that you did that transition from BMW into, into Honda. Like 
And I would never call the Goldwing, especially the newer year, an old man's bike. Definitely more of a comfortable <laughs> touring bike. But I mean, it fits in the same vein as like an RT or the the KL. But what was the what was the reason though going from that to, to Honda? Was it just an opportune time or wanting to try a different bike? Uh, yeah. So I've always changed bikes. I've, I've unfortunately, I guess, never owned a bike more than three or four years. I always get that three year itch mm-hmm. when I've when I own something and I always buy a bike based on whatever my, my riding style is. So my GS was set up strictly as a road bike and I rode it basically as a big sport bike. Um, but wanted to eh, maybe, you know, getting older and such wanted to kind of do some more riding with my wife. We do a few trips, uh, now and then, but the, the GS with the top box on it was comfortable. I did have Russell day long seats on it, so I could go all day on it, but it was, and it, and it's a pack mule. You could, you could pack, you know, we never had any trouble bringing whatever we wanted on that thing. Um, but it was a tall bike too. My seat was, was 35 inches. Uh, now not a, not a big deal for me. I'm a, I'm a larger than the average bear. So that, uh, that worked out well, but it was just, okay. I want something different. I've never owned a bike like the Goldwing before. I was intrigued when the new design came out and especially the 21. So I did buy a new, uh, 2021 because the trunk got bigger they, they changed the backrest. It got more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, just last year, they updated the software. So the DCT worked better. Everything I, I read about it was glowing. Um, and I was just, t- you know, just, I guess, wanting a change. Uh, and, and I've ridden the bike fairly hard with, uh, with some, some groups and I'm getting used to the DCT and how it handles. It handles so much different than the, uh, the GS, uh, and I, um, I think I've got a setting now where I'm not finding the pegs on most curves. Oh, no, but, nice. uh, but, but you're right. As far as you got it, I like the shifting on it. So I, I, I swap between, it's got four, four modes to it. Um, rain, eco tour and sports spend 95% of the time in the tour mode. And you're right. The shifting is you're in seventh gear at 40 miles an hour. I mean, it shifts up really quick, but you don't feel it. Uh, that's a nice, nice thing. Yeah. I just, I kind of felt like, um, it was really early and that was like the first year bike too. So it may be completely different now, you know? Yeah. I wonder if they, yeah, modify those shift points or, you know, whatever like that. Last year, I understand in 2020, they, they put out a, um, a software change that changed the shift points, uh, quite a bit or, and smoothed it out quite a bit. Now, I don't know if there was any, I think that was the main change. I don't know if they did anything to the transmission. All the reviews that I read was that, oh, it was so much better. And I did just last week get to ride a uh, six-speed. So did that. Very glad I still went with the uh, with the DCT. Nice. You put it in sport mode, and the bike is, is completely different in sport mode. The throttle response is extremely abrupt. I mean, if you grab a handful of throttle, it is going to fly away from you and you've got to hang, hang on, uh, the amount of torque and, and get up on it is, is 
some people say too abrupt for them. I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to it. And that's usually when I get up into the mountains, what I, uh, what I set it on, uh, and ride that occasionally. Now I'm just getting used to occasionally putting in manual mode and, and doing that, but I haven't developed a muscle memory with, the uh, using paddle shifters with my fingers yet. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I got in a car that a car that had this sort of like selectable gears it was an automatic but you could put it in a little like motor you could click the shifter up or down and it's such a weird feeling like because your you know your hand wants to do the normal like h pattern shifting or i'm assuming on the bike you want to do something else and so you'll probably accidentally shift up instead of down or accidentally shift down instead of up when you have it in manual mode for a while until you get used to it yeah, running running the same road in the mountains, I have found I am actually faster in the automatic mode than I am in the manual mode because I'm not thinking about it. If I feel like I've got to make a downshift, you can still use the paddle shifters while you're in the automatic mode. Right. They still work. Does it does it downshift based on your braking? Like how does the automatic downshifting work only on RPM or I guess it, you know, because it's two different clutches, it's supposed to sense when you're going. So typically as I'm coming into a curve, um, as I come off throttle and start breaking into the curve, it'll downshift. Mm. And then I find if I add, keep a little bit of throttle on as I, I break through the curves quite a bit, uh, it'll hold that shift. It won't upshift again in, uh, uh, in the middle of the curve. And then, you know, throttle out as you come out of it and it immediately goes up a gear. Interesting. I I guess the only thing it doesn't do is like a box shift, you know, where you go like from five to two or something like that. That would be, you'd really have to slow down, you know, if you were on an extreme, uh, uh, hairpin, then it would come down. It would come down a couple of gears, but you'd have to drop your RPM quite Mm -hmm. a bit. The good thing is you can never stall the bike. It's always going to shift down into first gear for you if you go that slow. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I have to test ride another one. Yeah. You know, a newer one. And, you know, around town, I think the tour is great. Um, I don't mind it shifting up into seventh gear at 40 miles an hour. You you just don't pay attention to it. And the only time I, I miss the clutch is when I'm coming to a stop, I still grab for that phantom clutch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for yeah. a phantom sixth gear on the TW, like every time I ride it, like, where's the next gear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and, and I will say as far as the difference in highway, uh, from my GS is just night and day. It's, it's so easy to ride on the highway, you know, 80 miles an hour, you've got electric windshield, put it up a little bit. I like still looking over the shield but it blocks the wind and because of the weight of the bike i mean i've never ridden anything this heavy it's 250 pounds more than my gs was but super stable on the highway where i always felt my gs was a little i don't it it wandered a little bit when you got up to 80 and then you were always that's a tall bike you were always screaming at you know five at 80 miles an hour the sixth gear was terrible on the boxer engines it really wasn't an overdrive it was a little bit better than the fifth so you were at five thousand rpm at and at 80 miles an hour yeah that's one of the things that's a lot higher than yeah Yeah, you and i both have a ktm 1290 and we probably have like almost the exact same gear ratios in the gearbox and our sixth gear is tall as hell (laughs) Like, yeah, it's, it's comfortable. Like RPM range at six in six gears, like a hundred, like 80 to a hundred. It's super smooth, but the, 
if you're in if you're doing 60 or, or 70 in sixth gear on mine on the gt it feels like it's like lugging yeah that was one thing i never understood with the with bmw in the boxers the difference between the gs and the rt now, i could see it in the lower gears you know the lower gears on the on the gs were, were much lower than the rt um but six gear, like I say, was on the GS is hardly any difference. But yet on the RT, it was like a true overdrive. Oh. At 80 miles an hour, you really had to use six gear. You got to be doing 80 because you're at like 3,500 RPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, like you say, you're, you're almost lugging it. So six was useless unless you're 80 or above on the RT. Yeah. And I. I don't know. I always felt on the the GSA and the GS. I was on both of those bikes combined for about seven years. That uh, highway was good. I mean, I, I've done some. I, I did one nine hundred mile day pure highway, so uh, it, it doable, but a uh, little buzziness. And yeah, you're you're pulling along at that five thousand RPM on it. And I mean, I guess that's just the way BMW intended it when they're going to market those bikes and sell them. That the tour is the tour, the GS is the GS. You know, we're really marketing this more for, you know, the the quote unquote off road scene. But uh, which is funny because between the two, I I think the GSA was a better touring bike than the RT. Hmm. Why? Uh, Why'd you feel that way? Well, one, you got that massive tank. So you got a mm-hmm. seven point gallon, oh, yeah, that's 7.9 true. gallon tank that would, you know, had, had, depending on how you run 350 to 400 miles on it. Um, and because with the boxes on it, it, it was such a pack mule. I mean, it had over a 500 pound, uh, uh, weight load that you could put on it. Um, you had, I had a 50, uh, liter top case that I put on the back. Plus, you got a 45 on one side, 35 on the other, and then you could strap crap on top of those boxes. So, yeah, and, the, my wife and, that's, and I would do a five day trip, and it was like, take whatever you want. I mean, we got more right. than enough room. Yeah. But that's what kills me about the first year of Goldwing when they came out with the new design was how small the storage space was. Yeah. Like, going anywhere, pack a lunch. That's all you got room for. <laughs> yeah. That's like a sandwich box yeah. on the side. Yeah, the sides are, are 30, and I just did an, uh, my first overnight this past weekend on it, and uh, I just went by myself, so I back, packed a small bag, and it's a odd shape. Um, I mean, I just took enough clothes for, for overnight and get it in there, but it'll be a little bit tighter. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to use the top box. Top box is uh, is 61 liters, I think, uh, oh, that's, and that's I can tell you, we've done a day trip where you know we were in full gear got to our destination, put our helmets in the top, put her jacket in, we're able to stuff our gear in the sides and go walk away and have lunch and walk the town. Yeah. As so if, yeah, without there's enough a gear for a that. Yeah. But that's not carrying any luggage. That's just empty bags storing what you're wearing in the helmets, right? Yeah. So, right. You know, but you still got to take off your pants and your jacket where we're, you know, wearing right, right, right. pants and, and jackets and such. Yeah. That, I mean, that definitely the appeal of, of, the bike like the gs and like my 1290 with either right now i'm running soft bags on the side of mine so one's like 45 liters the other one's 35 and uh yeah you can cram a lot of crap in there they, they kind of expand up to the top a little bit so i've been it's easy to pack a lot of things in it and when i first looked at the gold wing i was like damn man the gv bags i had on the v-strom were like 45 liters on each side and 52 liters on the top you know, just a, a massive amount of storage space, but, and, and it's funny on the Goldwing forums. Oh my God. The old timers just bemoaned the storage oh, space. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, they 
bitch about it so much. And I was like, you know, you just learn to carry less. Do you really need that cra- that much crap along with <laughs> right. you? It's, yeah. it's you funny because I, I remember going to – have you ever been to Two Wheels Only in North Georgia? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a standard day. day yeah. Ride. So, so like, I was there one time, and I'm watching these guys unpack their Goldwing bags. It, it might even have been a Harley. And they had multiple pairs of jeans packed. You know, and each one was folded and in like a Ziploc bag. So one side case was just nothing but jeans in this one guy's bag. I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> like, pack a pair of pants you can wash in the sink and wear over and over again. Like, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, I never bring jeans when I am mm-hmm. uh, traveling. Everything's synthetic that can be uh, washed in a sink or a tub. And thankfully, I don't have to carry camping gear. I don't camp. Sorry, guys. I don't no, sleep in the dirt. I, I'm, uh, I, was, I was debating whether thing. or not I was going to camp on my upcoming trip going up and down the coast. And uh, I booked an Airbnb for every single night. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about a hot shower and a nice bed. <laughs> I yeah. did the camping yeah, yeah, a lot. I, yeah, I I spent 20 years of my career traveling 100 percent and living in hotels. So uh, uh, to me, roughing it is is there's no room service or HBO on the TV. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, can't, I I listen. There's something about camping I still like, you know, but I don't know if I would do, you know, like another multi-day multi-thousand mile extended trip camping because there were times when the, the end of the day is getting close i'm like i just want to go to a hotel <laughs> like i don't want to go i don't want to go to this yeah. campground we're going to you know like i don't want to set my tent up i don't want to do any of that stuff i just want to go to a hotel yeah yeah I, and you know as as you get older the uh you you realize that access to uh ac is good and access to porcelain during the night is is a necessity yeah, yeah. the other thing yeah. like I, I've realized I don't mind camping if I'm like basing out of one place. So if we, you know, if like, let's say there was some like massive motorcycle, like, like a Overland Expo. Overland you know? Expo, yeah. We show up there. I set up my tent. I spend every night there for a couple of nights. And during the day, I'm like out riding or seeing stuff or whatever. But I don't have to set up and tear down my tent every night and then every morning. And that I'm good with. It's the, like, if I'm just going a long distance and I have to stop every night in a different place, I'm like, I don't want to set up my tent and then take it down in the morning and then set it up and then take it down. It's like, well, screw that, this. And you know, that's funny. Cause like that really decides how you're going to pack. Like, so if you're somebody like me, that's got multiple tents, if I'm taking like the last overland expo I went to, I took the red verse and that's like a nice base camp. Yeah, you know, you got this big giant tent yes. with a garage. I got chairs set up, my cooking area. I could go take off and do stuff and come back. And I felt comfortable. But for the day, you know, every night type thing, it's the big Agnes and it's a little tiny tent. And, you know, your whole way of doing things changes. Everything's outside your tent. You don't have an area to store things inside. At the middle of the night, you got to, before you go to bed, you pull stuff in and kind of make room for it. Cause we all know that a two person tent's really a one person tent. So, and you're trying to fit gear in there too. Yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass. I definitely like that base camp idea more if I'm going to be if I'm going to be camping, but yeah. uh yeah. Yeah, one one of my annual trips is uh, I I ride with a group of uh, of BMW guys and every year we do a, a long weekend at uh I don't know if you've, either of you know the Iron Horse Motorcycle Lodge. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, I've heard of it. Carolina. I've never been. Just the co- And it's a mix of uh 
cabins and very nice cabins and and tent camping and RV sites as well. And you're you're based there, so normally it's a four or five day weekend. So that fits in with you know a lot of the guys do camp up there. But you know I, I look at it, I the the I don't know the the appeal is okay. Yes, you're bringing all your stuff and you're you're uh, sleeping out whatever, but then the practicality of it loses it when, all right, that storm runs through during the night and soaks everything. Um, or that Sunday morning when we're all packing up to leave and, uh, and it's raining out and I, I watch them spend, you know, an hour trying to wrap up all their, their crap and get it on the bike. And it's piled high with, uh, with their tent gear and all their other stuff to make themselves comfortable. And I just grab my clothing bags and put them on the bike and go home. It's, it's definitely a learned skill when, when it's raining, cause there's a system, you know, how you pack stuff up and how you, and it's like you said, it's kind of a pain in the ass and usually you pack stuff wet and you just want to get out of there. Um, that that's one, like you said, the appeal of being in your cabin or in your hotel room and like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll have another cup of coffee. Wait for this to stop. And yep. <laughs> just kind of, no, like, like, yeah, like last weekend I, I went up, uh, so it, every time I get a new bike, my, uh, uh my thing is I get to go up to the dragon and, and just run it on the dragon. Uh, so that's just a, a thing I do. I, I, I like te- sharp technical roads. So that kind of fits in. So I, I went up last weekend, um, got up Saturday morning. It was like 7% chance of rain up in Robbinsville, which is just south of, uh, deals gap where the dragon is. It's like, great. It's going to be dry. Everything looked great for the day. Uh, rode with a group in the morning, went up there, got up to Robbinsville about two o'clock pouring rain. All right. Rode the dragon, uh, completely wet. At least didn't get rained on at that. Um, and then it was, that night, okay, I stayed in a hotel and that was great because I could throw a half cover on the bike and that kept it all nice and dry and, uh, you know, check weather for Sunday morning, 0% chance of rain Saturday night. Well, this is life in the mountains Sunday morning, absolute downpour. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to ride the Cherahala and I've been on the Cherahala in the pouring rain and there was another front coming through and I was like the hell with it packed up and and went home. I mean, luckily, uh, I, I'm in North Atlanta, so I'm two and a half hours from, uh, from tail of the dragon. So it's an easy, quick ride home. Nice. It's a nice area where you are too, because you have access to so many things where South Florida, it's like five hours to get out of Florida. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, so I'm in, uh, suburbs North of Atlanta, uh, Marietta, and my standard ride is, um, it's usually about five hours. I'll, I'll run up into the uh, mountains there. Uh, one of the most famous rides around here is um, uh, Blood Mountain. So take that up in Wolfpen Gap, which brings you right into Two Wheels of Suchus. Yeah, That's Wolfpen standard, Gap's a great uh, road. Yeah. Yeah. And Two Wheels is a standard lunch stop, and it's kind of like uh, Crash. It's, it's kind of like, I guess, the the rock store. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The East you know, in the Southeast here where any, any given Saturday or Sunday, there could be a hundred bikes there. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just a stopping point for everybody. Yeah. I, yeah. That, uh, you guys talking about riding in rain, it just occurred to me. I was like, I don't remember the last time I got wet on a motorcycle. Well, you've, you've <laughs> wow. had a dry spell anyway out there, right? I mean, yeah. Besides that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, it's not a frequent thing in San Diego like no. it is in South Florida, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you used to, 
commute to work guaranteed in the pouring rain every day I was going to work. So there was only a couple times when it was really hairy. I can think of two or three times that I was, I'm not exaggerating, terrified. One of them was on I-10 going through Texas. And um, it was probably one of the worst thunderstorms I've ever ridden in. And tractor trailers are just blowing by me. So a couple times I actually pulled into where the um, like the toll plazas were and just kind of tried to wait it out. But it wasn't letting up. And then a few times riding south on the Florida Turnpike where it, you just you, I, I couldn't see the car in front of me. It was so bad. And people are like honking their horns. I'm trying to go slow and I'm looking trying. I got my head like on the outside of the, the windscreen trying to see. And the same thing, I just found a safe place to pull off and wait it out. I think at one time I was actually almost late to work because it was so bad. I called in and said, man, I'm kind of stuck on the road here. It's raining so bad. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Not having windshield wipers is uh, not fun. Yeah. Other than that, it usually, like if it's a little bit of a Florida rain shower, I don't mind it. Especially wearing, you know, either I used to wear aero stitch gear and now it's climb. And I like the fact that. I already have my rain gear on. I don't have to stop and put something covering my jacket. It's already ready to go. I just maybe close a couple yeah. vents. But <laughs> so Steve, we're similar in that too. I, I do a, a mix of uh, aero stitch and, and climb gear. Yeah. Uh, but but in so the summertime, weird. I wear just a mesh jacket, and uh, you know it's it's eighty five ninety degrees. I welcome the rain. It's like. Go ahead. Get me, yeah. get me wet. Yeah. Especially riding in mountains, you know you're going to go over the next ridge, and it's probably going to be dry on the other side of the mountain. Yeah, and especially if you're not wearing a cotton shirt, you're wearing something that dries really quick, like a performance wear shirt. And I'm the same way. As soon as you get back into any sunshine, you're like, you're you're cooling off and you're dry, and it's it's nice. <sighs> so, Steve, you recently had some KTM yeah. related stuff happen. Yeah. So after the last show we recorded, the next day I went to go ride to go to. We have a place in South Florida, Tom. So your brakes like, were seized up, right? That was that was that was the issue, right? Your, yeah, yeah. The brakes seized. Thank God it happened at a a light where I wasn't riding. It just when I left the oddest thing when I left the warehouse pumped up the rear brake. Like it, the rear brake had was very spongy. I hit it a couple times and it was up to pressure. The front brake <clears throat> just started to get a little tighter. I noticed. By the time I got to the traffic light, I couldn't move the bike at all. Right. It, it, it's almost like it, like it vapor lock, like on a mountain bike sometimes, you know, with disc brakes. Uh, man, I, I couldn't move it for anything. I tried pushing it. It was completely locked up. And then the bike wouldn't start. It was giving me an error saying front brake switch. Right. So the record driver came, you know, he was like, he had a flatbed. He's like, I don't really have any way of getting this bike up on here and, so I, I thought real quick, I put it up on the center stand and lifted the front wheel off the ground. I said, Hey, do me a favor. See if you can spin the front wheel. Well, he did. And it, it unlocked it. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to ride it back to the warehouse. You know, like, and he was, I said, is there a charge? He's like, no, no, it's, it's close. Don't worry about it. Well, I it wouldn't start at all. It kept giving me that front brake switch error. So, you know, he lowered the flatbed. He said, I'll push it up. You raise the back of the flatbed and we strapped it down and he, brought it over to the warehouse so and i've yet to take it apart and try to figure out what it is i i'm gonna so i tried to drain some of the brake fluid out of it mm. and there's not a single wrench in the kit that fits that 12 millimeter hub on the top where the handlebars are and i think you told me the one down by the there's a by the brake pads eight 
Yeah, my mine has a bleeder up there too, like an actual like a. I think mine has like an eight millimeter like bleeder up on top of my like my brake master cylinder, but. So that 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 bleeder at the top is twelve millimeters, oh. and then somebody told me that the one down by the actual brakes themselves is yeah, eight, that, but I, I couldn't eight. I couldn't find it. I didn't look hard enough, and then I was actually trying to like fashion a duct tape, you know, trough so that when I opened the bleeder at the top, it would like flow down to the ground, not all over my handlebars and everything. Yeah, but there's like a multi wrench tool in there that's designed for one of the larger nuts that's got a twelve millimeter hole on it, but it was you know not. You, you couldn't turn it. You put it on there and it would like skip. You know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't exactly like 12 millimeters, there, right? So I might go by there tomorrow and pull it apart and see what the hell's going on. You know, other than that, I'll have to tow it over to the dealership. But uh, yeah, that was weird. First time I've ever had anything happen like that yeah. on a bike. So you got it safely back, but you're not still not sure. No, and I, I haven't. No, the week's been kind of busy between yeah. work and everything else. So I haven't had a chance to go over there. Plus, with not having air conditioning in my warehouse, <laughs> it's blazing hot during the day. So I, I may wait to go over there on an evening. I got two big like shop fans I'll have on there. And it was funny because right before I took the bike out for a ride, I started taking all the decals off of it mm-hmm. that I had from the trip. And I'm going to, I still think I might sell the bike and, and get something different. Yeah. So I, I'm going to probably pull off the soft bag mounts and put the hard bags back on it. And maybe sell the soft bag separately or keep them. I don't know. You know, they're 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 universal. It's just the mounts are different. But we'll see. I don't know. I keep. I've been waffling back and forth. I was looking at bikes this morning. You know, I was looking at. Uh, you're gonna laugh. I was looking at a Sportster S. <laughs> you're right. And then yep. I, I started. <laughs> oh, I started I'm like, laugh at that one too. Sorry. <laughs> it, you know, it's just the way it's just unexpected. Looks. Like a totally out of left field. Like he's he's been talking about like uh, getting a. Uh, bmw gs or maybe a uh, honda goldwing is like, so look at a sports rs today i'm like what i'm looking what all over this? the place man i've been on small displacement <laughs> bikes looking at those but then i started looking at the difference between a sportster s and an indian ftr because i know like wes and a couple people have made that comparison yeah and the new ftr to me looks absolutely butt ugly like i do not like the way it looks i so i, I test rode one of those uh, it's nice but it it get buzzy as hell. I mean, it's it's more of a it it'd be a nice toy. Yeah, because you you do like a five. A, you're, a you just, you just said your standard ride is a five hour ride. Like that's that's a long time dealing with some vibration. I didn't, you know, I I hadn't heard that negative review about it being buzzy. I just thought the thing, you know, I don't know. I've never heard Wes talk about his being buzzy. I, now, this was the new one that I test rode. It was just a few months ago, so it was a, uh, with a new 17-inch uh, front. But um, maybe it was just me, but it, but I, I found it was. a it, it, Very aggressive riding position for what it was. I mean, your legs are tucked up under under you. Um, like I say, I'm taller, so disclosure, I'm, I'm 6'3", 34-inch uh, inseam. So it's it's a, t- a little bit of a tight fit on the bike. But, uh, if you feel cramped on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I thought upper, upper RPMs, it was definitely uh, a lot of vibration in the handlebars. That's interesting. And maybe the, maybe the, uh, the Harley's got definitely fatter wheels. The geometry is a little bit different. It's a little bit stretched out more. Um, I don't know. You know, again, it's like I'm fickle right now, just looking at a bunch of different bikes and then goofing around. I saw Honda came out with an 1100 Rebel now. Did you see that, Chris? 
I don't, oh yeah, I had heard about mm-hmm. it. It's the African yeah, hey, motor. You can get that like, oh, yeah. with the DCT. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Now those are all feet forward, though. I don't think any of those have mid controls. No, they're all mid controls. The the the, the Rebel's a mid control bike, yeah. And the okay. uh, now the Sportster S, I don't think it is. That's feet forward, and that's yeah. you know that would definitely eliminate that bike for me because I can't ride that position at all i just like the way it looked i thought it was kind of cool looking it does look pretty nice i'll give him that yeah i mean i'm still kicking around the idea of a mid to small displacement bike or right yeah i, I don't know it looks There's like, so much stuff out there i like <laughs> yeah it looks like here in the near future i might be in the market for a new motorcycle because i might have no motorcycles um i haven't decided yet we would we last episode we talked about how i got orders to japan and i was kind of waffling back and forth about what bike to take or whether I was going to take a motorcycle with me. And I got an email the other day. That's basically like from the, some it's from some part of the Navy that basically like helps you figure out your move stuff. And it was like a quick list of things to know if you're going to try to bring certain things to Japan. So like if you have pets and you're going to bring your pets to Japan, there's like a quarantine period they have to go through once they get there and blah, 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 stuff like that. Um, For motorcycles, they said if it's over 250 cc's, so the TW is fine. Uh, if it's over 250 cc's, then it has to be tested for its braking capability, and it has to have an emissions test. And the only places, there are very few locations to get that test done. Fortunately, there is one in Tokyo, and I'm not so far from Tokyo that I wouldn't be able to do that. But um, they said it's going to be, it's around 800 bucks to get it tested. Um, and then if your bike doesn't meet their great criteria for whatever reason, then, you know, you're either having to pay on your own dime to get it up to standards or you can't register it and you're just stuck with a bike that you can't ride in Japan um, <clears throat> or, you know, ship it back home at your own expense or whatever. But uh, the KTM, I, so I've, I have been, I've been told that Japan's emissions requirements are less strict than California's. Uh, so I think I will probably be okay emissions wise. And there's no reason that they wouldn't pass their braking standards that the, the Super Duke GT is sold in Japan. So even if it's for some reason, there's like, oh yeah, there's this one special part that makes it Japan legal. Like I could get it, but I don't know that I want to, <laughs> I don't know they, that I want So they, they won't accept the California emissions test. Mm-mm. No, you have to mm-hmm. take it and get it tested at a, at a facility there. So, interesting yeah that's the only thing holding you back is that yeah it's like it'd be 800 bucks to get it or ish you know i don't i don't know the actual price so those are like the estimates from the navy but yeah it's, it says like around 800 bucks to get the test done um that's insane like for a emissions test yeah, and the breaking a, test yeah 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 and um i'd have to go to tokyo to get it done which is like an hour and a half or so away um again not the worst but i, I was thinking about how the the uh the KTM is not special. It's I could go have anybody could go buy another one just like it right now. It's not unique or anything. So what about yeah, I was going to say, have you, have you really customized these and and you know married to the bike or just no, not at all, Tom. Well, That's exactly my point. You know, if you're just going to be there for a couple of years, just yeah, uh, That's what I'm thinking. Unload like, and and get something there. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Doug from uh, Amen Moto made the suggestion that uh, I should sell both of them. And this is before I, I even knew about this. He's like, you should just sell both of them and then buy something cool and Japanese and bring that home. Uh, you know, that's that you can't get in the States. The, I, that that would be a really I think that's a good idea. option. Yeah. yeah. 
because you see a lot of those in South Florida, stuff that people had bought, like in Malaysia. I told you before, there's like GP bikes running around here that yeah. don't have light. Because Florida is really easy, depending on where you go, what tag agency. A lot of them out they're, in the sticks, they don't, they don't even care. They don't yeah, even go out and look at the Like bike. that thing got wheels on it? Here's a yeah, license plate. They don't care. They're not looking at it. They're not looking for anything. <laughs> a couple guys I know brought bikes back from... There's a company out of Malaysia that sells like old 250 GP bikes, you know, like mm-hmm. RS 250s. And yeah, the guy was like, yeah, I bought this when I was in the military and I have a lot of sentimental value. And they're like, no problem. Here, here's a plate and a registration for it. So yep, that that's probably a good idea. I, I, honestly. I, was, I was tempted by Doug's suggestion. And then I saw like the, I'm going to have to pay extra money on top of the registration and all that sort of stuff. Like, eh. and, and the thing is when you, as an American buying a vehicle over there, um, I'm not gonna. I don't know how to read Japanese, so like, I'm gonna have to have a human, another person, help me through every step of this process. And I was like, mm, that's just more steps. I don't know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you mean to tell me? Yeah, you don't I think like the idea really... of, of of just buying something unique to Japan. Yeah, that you can't get in the states. Right. Hmm. There's probably people there that do that will help you oh i I know there's people that'll help you and like at the car dealerships and stuff or you know that they you know it's just like buying a car here like they help you process all the paperwork and that sort of thing but like having to jump through the extra like regulatory hoops with a vehicle i already own i i just i would have to like bring somebody with me to every you know like bring a, a translator with me everywhere um so just turn your phone on and make it talking to like the Google Translate. It does thing. okay. Yeah, I, I've done that. Yeah. Um, it's not the worst, but. Listen, I saw a truck that that I really, I actually texted Phil the other day oh, about yeah. it. There's a truck that they're going to be releasing in Australia only that's the 70th anniversary oh, of the. Yes, I saw this. The, the 70th, Series 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so the man, Toyota, it's Land Cruiser, Toyota Land Cruiser Series 70, they're releasing an SUV version and a truck version only in Australia. And it has like built in hmm. all of the super cool upgrades like that you would want. Eight in cylinder an diesel, vehicle. yeah, locking rear and di- front differentials, <laughs> yeah. snorkel, everything. And it's like I think they said the price was like fifty four thousand dollars. You know, like way less than I paid for my stupid Explorer. And the body style but, uh, is like really, it's like got kind of a sort of a retro look to the body too. Right. So it was funny because right when I saw that article, I was driving back from the airport and I took a picture. I, I saw a Series 70 truck in South Florida on mm-hmm. the highway with the snorkel, like the, the two-door one. And I yeah. texted Phil. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he, he said, that's also a Series 70. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm agreeing with Tom. I think you should at least get rid of the bikes and see I've what got, you can find. I've got like three friends that were saying like, hey, before you move to Japan, if you want to get rid of that TW, let me know. So I'm probably oh, I'm sure you'd that. have no problem selling oh, that at yeah. all. None at all. The, the biggest problem I've had is getting the title, um, which it's on its way. Finally, uh, I've had the bike for almost two months now and I, the title is finally going to be here. <laughs> um, for some reason, this was a guy that had bought it before, had bought it new, financed it and, you know, through Yamaha financial and they took forever to tell the DMV to release the title. And then now they finally did and it's finally coming. <laughs> so I'll basically get it registered to me because he also, he, he, he like filled everything out on the title already, including like my name and the sales date and everything. Like he was very meticulous. And I was like, I was kind of hoping you would just leave that blank so I could just never register it to myself and sell it to the next guy. <laughs> yeah. That would have made life a lot easier. Yeah. 
So I'm going to yeah. finish registering it in my name and then like turn around and sell it to Jay LaRosa from Mosa Engineering probably. <laughs> you know, and yeah. this this is not a bad time to be selling bikes. They they are, um, depending on the market and the bike, they, they can be at a premium. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I got good numbers when I traded in my GS and I sold my Vespa for... I had it for a little over three years and, and less than a thousand dollars for what I paid new for it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got a little bit, there's some, there's some like cosmetic ugliness about the G the GT that I feel like would, you know, probably drive the price down a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not trying to make money on the thing. I'm just going to try to unload it, unload it and move on. But I also have a, a trip to do, so I'm not going to sell it soon. I'm just going to, take my trip and then sell my house and then start selling off all my other stuff probably over the winter and i know the winter is not a good time to sell bikes usually but thankfully it's southern california we don't really have one of those you know the only other thing i was thinking of when it comes to buying the bike in japan what's the licensing um situation like if you come over there oh yeah driving on you're driving on a california driver's license or do you have to get a japanese one you have to take a motorcycle test how does that work um, I'm not 100% certain how all of that works. I know that, um, in fact, it's actually mentioned in that email they sent me, but there's a, uh, there's that like AAA international driver's license thing that you can just like, it's like, uh, have you ever, have either of you guys ever heard of it? No, you've mentioned yeah, it before, but okay, I don't know so what it is. Basically, AAA does this thing where you fill out a form or whatever, and they just send you a, dr- a driver's license that I guess in like just a couple of languages, it says like this person is licensed to operate a motor vehicle, basically. Um, it has some other information on that and it's supposed to go kind of like hand in hand with your, or, you know, us state driver's license. Um, and it just sort of helps like translate everything. Um, and so there's the, there's a agreement between the United States and Japan that like I can drive on my American driver's license out there. I think I just have to take like on the base. I think I have to take a little test or something. I don't remember exactly. I had to take a test. I have a on base driver's license for the base that I'll be staying on. Um, that I'll be working on. I already have a license for them to be able to drive their like rental cars around the base. But I don't think I actually have to do anything super special. Um, yeah. Is that because you're going to be there for an extended period? Because I've, I've done, you know, several vacations into Europe and driven all over Europe right. uh, and never, you know, never bothered with any license. Right. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, it's because it's because I'm in the military and we, I, I'll be living there and they're making, and the, then they have a agreement sort of thing with, so if I were just visiting, I would be perfectly legal to just drive and it would be fine. But, and I think that in terms of the Japanese government's perspective, they just do, they still are going to treat that the same way. Like I'm able to, you know, buy a car and drive it and whatever. But the base has like policies because, you know, they drive on the left side of the road and there's a whole bunch of extra sort of uh, like symbols and stuff that you'll see on people's cars. Like there's the there's a little uh, little window dangly thing or like a sticker on the back of somebody's trunk that says if they're a new driver. And basically, if they're a new driver, they're not at fault for hardly anything um, because you're supposed to give them extra space and extra time and extra care because they don't know how to drive yet. And then there's also one um, for uh, if you're over 75, there's this like little clover leafy kind of thing that they that you stick on your car that basically goes to the same thing. Like if if they're over 75, you're supposed to give them extra care and extra time and extra, you know, and like because they're older and, you know, reaction times are slower and all that sort of stuff. So um, if you get into an accident with them, it's probably your fault, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> 
the the hardest part is always the driving on the left side. Uh, yeah, I, I like I say, I had driven throughout Europe and loved driving in in Italy and Spain. I found England the hardest to drive, even though the road signs were in English, just because that especially roundabouts and just uh-huh. being on that left side messed me up more than anything in Italy or Spain, not knowing the, you know, couldn't read the signs. Yeah. Driving, it, it driving around intuitive. on, uh, driving around on base. The last time I was out there, we pulled into the right lane so many times like we would go to like take a turn and be like oh shit wrong side of the road <laughs> like after I, I used to hit curbs a lot uh-huh. I, I imagine <laughs> i would probably do the exact same thing like I, I would be so confused half the time about where i'm supposed to go yeah my main goal actually i'm i'm gonna i know that i will end up buying a car when i'm out there but um my main goal in commuting and everything is to use a vehicle as little as possible while i'm out there um because the trains are so good the buses are so good um, everything is so clean, like, like, you know, the, the, the trains, like you're not, you're not sitting on like some nasty ass subway with like, you know, 45 people making huge amounts of noise, like all jammed in there. I mean, they will really get jammed in there on the trains, but everybody's like quiet and polite. And, uh, I also found out you can't take your bicycle on the train unless you have a little bag for it. Um, oh really yeah which is i guess explains why there's so many folding bikes out there because the the bag size is like a there's a maximum dimension for the bag i don't remember what it is but basically if you don't have a folding bike you have to pull the front wheel off in order to get your bike into a bag that's within that size requirement and i think the bag is to keep it's to keep your nasty wet gross bicycle from touching other people's stuff or from getting the train dirty and it's also because I'm sure if either of you have ever tried to move a bicycle from one place to another while you're not riding it, everything on the bike catches on everything around it as at the right. early, like the pedals are like, Ooh, let me grab that wire. And the handlebars are like, Ooh, let me hook on that branch. And so, um, so that you don't yank everybody's backpack and purse off while you're trying to move your bike around on the train. They, they have you have it in a, in a bag. So let me ask you this, Chris, have you watched any of these videos on YouTube about how to act in Japan, like the culture and stuff? <laughs> like they don't walk and eat and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, they don't. No, not at yeah. all. Um, they, they also, one of the things that's interesting is like, it's really common to just take a nap anywhere. Like it's acceptable in their culture to just sleep anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and I don't remember, there's a special word for them, but basically if you're like a, like a middle-class like businessman and you went out with your boss last night and you got trashed and you just fell asleep on the side of the road uh, or a, or a train station or whatever and then you just got up and went to work and when you're done like that there's like a special name for for doing that um and it's apparently acceptable to fall asleep even at your desk like to just sit up and kind of like nod off for a little bit because it's like oh he's working super hard he's working so hard he fell asleep <laughs> and it's like apparently people will fake sleep to be look get out like of work no, well, to look like they're doing a really hard job like to look like they've they've worked themselves to the point where they're falling asleep it's, i wouldn't need to fake that at all i've got a george costanza desk in my office with like a little <laughs> alarm clock and bed underneath it <laughs> that's hilarious yeah um oh my God. I, go ahead i was gonna say i, I i've worked in some uh, government offices where i've come upon or had people sleeping at their desk but it wasn't because they were working so hard no i've never i've i've been asleep at my desk and it was not because i was working hard either <laughs> yeah i'm just I, i've got this built-in alarm clock so no matter what i do i only get about five hours of sleep so by like three or four o'clock in the afternoon i can't keep my eyes open i'm like dead it's so hard 
Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm I'm like uh, really excited about like I feel like I'm gonna live vicariously through you when you're over there, and I'm definitely planning a trip to come see you. But I was just curious why the, why buy a car if you're gonna buy a bike and you want if you you said you want to commute as little as possible. Why buy the car? Um. Hold on. One of you guys internet connection just started doing something really weird i'm gonna steve can you can you get yourself it, yeah hold on oh wait it just stopped that was is didn't it didn't know if that was me i don't know either um yeah consider consider just being a bike so i i do that i don't own a, a personal car um uh, my, my motorcycle is my primary transportation it rains a lot and i'll really only be there in the winter like i'll be there in the fall winter and spring in japan um and so I'm going to try as long as I can to not buy a car, but I am sli- sort of in the back of my mind accepting the fact that I will probably buy a car at some point while I'm there. Get get yourself an Aristich onesie R3. Oh yeah. They're, I've been wanting one of those. Great for in the rain. That was my commuter suit. I still have it and it's 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 hot in the summer. You know, I can't wear it over 80 degrees, but if you are going point to point and you want to be dressed when you get there and dry, it's, it's a great suit to have. I've kind of always wanted one. Maybe I'll, before I leave, maybe I'll take the time to go through like getting one that fits right. And, you know, potentially sending it back for alterations or whatever I need to, and then get it all good and then take it with me to Japan. Yeah, I've got the light version, and uh, I did it a few years ago at one of their pop-ups, so it's custom-made to me. Um, and it's funny, you get that suit, and you're, you, when you're standing in it, oh my God, it looks like crap. It, you know, the, the <laughs> right. legs are long, the arms are long, the seat's long, uh, it, but you sit on the bike, and it's like, it fits perfectly, right. because that's it's made for you sitting in, in, in that position. Um, yeah, it, they're nice. It, it's just it gets hot, so I, I don't wear. It, uh, yeah, and I won't. I won't have to deal with. A t- I won't have to deal with a ton of hot weather out there because I'll be missing basically every summer. Because um, the what, is that when your leave is, is summertime. So the the ship, um, the ship that I'll be attached to. So the squadron that I'm going to always deploys on the same ship, and that sh- the the schedule they just they're they're out underway from like May to November almost every year. Um, okay, like th- there's a little bit of variation in there, but. They're basically deployed every summer. Um, it's the USS Ronald Reagan. Uh, they're they're underway right now. That, that's that's where I was when I was uh, in ju- June, whatever it was, when I went out on the ship that, for a few weeks. That was that's the ship I was on. Um, and they, like I said, they just they have a, a pretty consistent cycle of when they deploy. So, what's the possibility of you bringing me on a Tiger cruise, just like your older <laughs> brother or something? <laughs> I mean. If they do them, I don't sure. I'd be I'd be down. I could we could probably make that happen. <laughs> um, I think right. we gotta wrap it up. I think most of us have some commitments. Um I can't think of any other fun motorcycle nonsense to talk about anyway at the moment. So I got a whole bunch of stuff, but we'll we'll save it for next time. Nice. Um well, Tom, thanks for being on the show. It's been fun. Hey, it was fun uh get you on shooting again the crap with you guys and uh yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it sounds like you and Steve are like uh, soulmates or something. <laughs> yeah, when well, we're probably close to the same age, so. Yeah. Um, without and, and I lived in Florida for a long time, so uh, I, I know what it's like down there. Yeah. All right. Well, get out and ride. <laughs> See ya. All right, thanks.